know, I, I think sometimes people think that every time they try something and it doesn't work out, that it's just a setback and it's just mm-hmm. holding them back, you know, or that they failed. But in reality, all of those experiences build us up to where we gain the knowledge to eventually find just that perfect thing that we should be doing. And then all the stars align, you know, it rarely happens for people on their first try. Business owners in Salt Lake City are proving that there are a million ways to discover your story and make a living. We're going to their turf to talk with people who are doing exactly that. I'm your host, Clyde Mead, the CTA Community Supports. I believe in inclusion, social capital, and employment for all. A commonwealth. Commonwealth. I have been shocked by what's happened with the business when it just started as a side project that I thought uh, this could make us more money and we could travel more. So my daughter was, my first daughter Maya was six months old, right around there, and I felt like I wanted to do something more. Um, I really admire women that can just focus on being a mom, and I think that's wonderful. Um, And I think just for some women that, uh, you know, you have a drive to do something else as well as that. And I I had that, and I didn't know exactly what I wanted to do. Before I had her, I tried several different entrepreneurial projects and creative projects and didn't really find the right thing. Um, But by the time I had her, was kind of at home for a few months, just stewing in my thoughts, you know, no adult conversation to keep me busy during the day. So a lot of time to think, and I had this idea for Lumen Kiln to start a shop with all handmade products from all over the world, some from the U.S., some from, you know, all different kinds of countries halfway across the world. And I eventually opened when she was one, right after her birthday. It was uh, November 2015. So it's been a little over two years. Two years in the, I guess, a little over two years. Yeah. I was going to say it was 2018, but... Yeah, two years and, what, three, three months-ish. Three months. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So... So you've gone on Instagram from zero followers to 138,000? Yeah, about 138,000 right now. Um, That's insane. That's so many. (laughs) It's a lot. I think sometimes I forget how many people that means, but to know that there's 138,000 people in the world that are interested in what I'm doing, it feels pretty good. (laughs) Yeah, for sure. So how did you settle on that one? Like, why handmade goods? Why... Did you already have this huge stockpile of handmade worldwide goods? (laughs) Pretty much my own personal collection. I mean, Uh I studied uh, studio art in college. Always growing up, I was kind of, I have three older brothers, very intellectual, very smart. um, And so I was like, oh, I'm not the smart one, you know. I've got older brothers are really smart. I got to have (laughs) something, my shtick. What's my shtick? And so I uh, realized early on and my parents both really encouraged me and I think saw that I was creative and so that was kind of my thing I was creative and anytime there was an art project in school you know I would go above and beyond and I'd spend hours at home doing this and then they'd show the whole class and I mean you know granted it wasn't like a huge school or anything but made me feel pretty good and my dad especially both of my parents were but my dad really was excited about um my talent in in creativity and uh that took different avenues, but usually it meant coloring when I was younger, painting when I got a little older, something um, visual like that. And uh, so, well, <laughs> You're no, getting, I, I you, lost my train of thought. Now, are you overwhelmed by 
You know, I wasn't, but then I just lost my train of thought. What was the original question? Well, the original question is, how do you get into this? And you were oh, saying that you yes. started in school. Okay, that's, yes. Um, that's so pretty I, early. Yeah, I figured out early on that I liked to, to paint, draw, do those kinds of um, visual arts. And I, in high school, kind of that took a back seat, and I really focused on dance. I really liked modern dance, and I was still being creative in another way. I was a senior in high school, and I did this weird bipolar dance where like half of me was happy and half was upset and I found this local artist to record a song and you know used that in competition I mean, it was very weird very not normal but that was how I was expressing my creativity so I went to college and I I loved dance but I kind of knew I wasn't good enough to really pursue it I knew I loved it I knew I was creative but technically I wasn't good enough to really go far so when I realized that uh I had to kind of go back to my roots and what else am I good at? You know, what else could I possibly, what else am I even interested in? I mean, I just found, found myself not really interested in that many things. And so, um, at least academically. So I went back to my roots and I studied art and I studied painting and that's what I did my undergrad in, went to a great program at BYU and, uh, I loved my professors, really opened up my eyes to just, um, the world of art. And that was the first time I really went to museums and spent a lot of time on Pinterest and on artists' websites. And, like, I just did not know the whole big, wide world of art that was out there my whole life. And it was the first time I really dove in. But it was such a short time in my undergrad. I mean, it was only the last year and a half that I was really focusing on my program and not just doing prereqs and stuff. So finished that. We moved to Portland, Oregon. And uh, for my husband's job, and I was like, you know, I'm gonna get from this. here though. You'd yeah, we so we met you. we met at Provo, okay, at at college, and uh, we were married for two years, and then my husband waited for me to finish school because that was important to both of us, and then we moved up to Portland for a job opportunity with Danton, which is where he works, and um, so I pursued painting. I was like, I'm gonna paint, and I'm gonna get my work in galleries, and well, it's very hard to do that. Yeah. It's extremely difficult, yeah. and. Um, I also found myself just often not liking a lot of what I was seeing. You know, I'm like, well, am I the only one here that doesn't really like this? I know everyone's telling me this is what's good, but I don't really think it is. And so I, I kind of struggled with being like, you know, I have my own aesthetic. It's different than what a lot of people are saying are good. Is that bad? Or are there other people that feel the same way I do? So I tried to pursue painting for a short amount of time. It was still during the recession. I mean, people were not spending money on art. And... I also just ultimately realized maybe this isn't my best strength, just painting. I don't know if I want to sit in a room by myself with no social interaction. I'm a very, very much extrovert, and I don't know that this is really what I want to do. So I tried other things. Um, my dad and I, I have a very entrepreneurial spirit. My dad mm -hmm. was an entrepreneur growing up, and I think watching that just kind of fascinated me. But so I, growing up, I did have that entrepreneurial spirit. And my dad and I started a side project, and I painted watercolor greeting cards. And I painted these little cards, and my dad figured out how to get them printed. And then we went around, and we hit up little stores. And we said, hey, we're a father-daughter team. Uh, I paint these cards, and we want to sell them in your store. And we did that just winging it, just kind of figuring it out. And we ended up getting in probably 20 stores in the Northwest and in Utah and little boutiques. And um, But we made some major, major uh, mistakes, just rookie mistakes. Mm -hmm. I, I made a couple designs and then we printed way too many because we said, oh, if, you know, if we print 100, it's going to be 30 cents a card. But if we print 5,000, it's going to be 25 cents a card. Clearly, that's the better choice. 
Well, not so much. So we printed all of these cards, took them to the boutiques. After a few months, they said, great, what do you have that's new? We're ready for your next design. And I'm thinking, well, I got, <laughs> I've got boxes and boxes of these same designs back in my house. I can't afford to print new ones until I get rid of these old ones. Mm-hmm. But we'd hit every small boutique we could think of and we could find in several states. So, I mean, we really shot ourselves in the foot there. And after living in Portland and seeing some of the illustrators in Portland, because Portland's a very artsy city, there's a lot of talent there, uh, especially in illustration. And that's not my strong point. And that's kind of what I was trying to do, part illustration, part watercolor. And when I saw other people's cards in boutiques, I went, if my card was here, I would pick their card over mine. And when I realized that, I said, this isn't for me. Um, I really needed to do something that I felt like really utilized my strengths. And just because you're an artistic person doesn't mean you're great at every everything every artistic. Art, you know, yeah. you, you really have to find your niche and figure out um, where you really thrive. And so from there, I painted deer antlers, kind of this was random thing. I'd find deer antlers and I'd paint kind of tribal designs on them and stuff. And I sold those in boutiques. So were you a shed hunter? I I did not. No, I didn't have the time. I wish that I would have. And people would always ask me, are these shed naturally? And I wanted so badly to tell them yes, but I did not have the time to find them. So it's no, they aren't. I got them from a small company that finds them ethically, but that was another thing I struggled with with that. Um, (laughs) So I did that for a short amount of time, kind of burnt out from there tried jewelry for a few months and now okay this isn't it so then I worked at a boutique in Portland for uh, about a year and a half it was called Branch Birdie and it was run by my friend now Anna who is crazy talented I love her her new shop now is Laysuk Laysuk and uh, man she's just a powerhouse boss woman I love her so the she new place is also in Portland it is it's she she lives in Portland she no longer has a brick and mortar store she just does online um but she's got a great aesthetic and a great business sense started when she was young as well and so I worked for her for about a year and a half and it was the first time I worked in um a boutique to really kind of see how a store was run even though it was more fashion oriented and I was more interested in interiors uh, I guess at the time I didn't really know that for sure, but it was just a good experience to kind of see the ins and outs mm-hmm. of how that was run. Um, cause it, uh, kind of in the back of my mind, my whole life, I thought I'd love to own my own little store, but it was such a pipe dream. I didn't, I wasn't really thinking about it seriously, but so that was a great experience. So I had all of these little experiences. Some felt like failures. Some just felt like little adventures and not really going anywhere with it. I decided to go back to school for interior design. I realized being in Portland and going to all these home decor shops that that was really what I loved. I mean, designing a home and curating a space is like doing a one big art project. You think about color, you think about shape, you think about composition, balance, lightness, darkness. I mean, all these things you're doing, but it's like on a massive scale. And then it's something that people can actually live in. I mean, it's so personal and so important for people to love their home. So that's an awesome description. Yeah, well, thank you. <laughs> so I once I realized that, and for me, once I once I know something, I go one thousand percent at it. There's no holding me back, but I'm I'm very hesitant until I really feel confident. So once I knew I loved interiors and that was really the direction I wanted to take my artistic ability, I went back to school for a year at Portland Community College and uh, I just did a year of their interior design program. 
And then Mark and I got pregnant. And by that, I mean I got pregnant. Yeah. Mark did not have to be pregnant. He gets he no credit for being pregnant. <laughs> Only me. So, and he, all of a sudden, a great job opportunity presented itself back at Dannon in Utah. So we're like, okay, you know, I had taken most of the classes I thought were most interesting and less of the technical courses. Um, so I was like, you know, I think I'll be okay if I just do a year. I think I've learned a lot and I can run with this. So we moved back here, was here for a couple months, had nothing to do, no job. No one was going to hire me a couple months pregnant. It was the worst three months of my life. I was bored out of my mind. Mm-hmm. Then I had Maya and then I was home. And I mean, really, I was just thinking constantly. So I thought back on all of my different experiences and all of the things that I had tried, felt like I failed at, but I actually learned a lot from each of those experiences. I mean, I, it was so... I don't know. I I think sometimes people think that every time they try something and it doesn't work out, that it's just a setback and it's just Mm -hmm. holding them back, you know, or that they failed. But in reality, all of those experiences build us up to where we gain the knowledge to eventually find just that perfect thing that we should be doing. And then all the stars align, you know, it rarely happens for people on their first try. You know, I mean, I even feel lucky that at I think I was 24, 25 when I started the business that it, it ended up being successful. I feel extremely fortunate that I wasn't 40, you know, or 50 when I figured out really what I was good at. Um, so, yeah. Yeah. So one of the, along those lines, like the thing that we do in CTA or one of the things that I do with CTA is we do something called discovery. So we're taking folks that have developmental disabilities of various sorts, especially autism and they're doing that over and over again. We're, we're doing yeah. discovery, so they're, they're having to go uh, prototype, 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 and, uh, or iterate. So every time they have an idea, something they want to work on, they have to go try it. We have to yeah. take them into the community, take them to business owners, and say, actually try what you like to do. And we do it over and over again until they find amazing. their their niche. So yeah. what you're saying is, that, I mean, that is absolutely... The only reason I bring it up is because the, the whole process you just described is exactly what they would say to do. Is oh, interesting. Don't okay. take the time to, to think about it and yes. worry about it. Just just go try something and keep trying and trying and trying until all of a sudden you find yourself with 138,000 followers on Instagram. <laughs> they say that exactly. That's uh, that's a crazy coincidence. Yeah, well, yeah, exactly. They were describing your life. Yes. Kind of. Oh, that's, that's really cool. For sure. So getting back to your story, how, like, when did you, like, launch... Lumen Kiln. Like, what's the... How did this actually... Like, what's the genesis? How did it come to life? So, uh, I think when Maya was about six months old, I thought, you know, maybe I'm not the best at painting or drawing or actually doing the creating. I said, but I really have the eye. I know how to pick out what's good. I mean, I... And what made me think I could be successful in owning a store is so often I would go into a store, a home decor store... And I would find a couple gems and I'd be like, these pieces are amazing. But 80% of this is crap. crap. It's just crap. Why? Why? How can someone pick this out and then pick all of this out? I can't be the only person that feels this way. And I felt that way about so many stores I went into, um, you know, or even if it wasn't crap, you know, that's that's kind of harsh. But it would just be mediocre, you know, or it'd be so out there and crazy that I'm like, nobody's going to like this. It's too outside the box, you know? Where is that happy, sweet spot that I feel like I can see, but it doesn't seem like other people can see? And so... But you kind of said the exact same thing about your paintings, about your 
when you're trying to find your boutique galleries to put your paintings in. It's true. You saw other people's work and yes. you felt like some people would say that's a brag of, of sorts, but they might, they might. And I don't really brag about much, but I that is something that I can say, you know, if I've built the business to where it is without any connections, without really knowing what I'm doing, kind of winging it. The only thing that really could have taken it to this point is if what I was picking out was just good. It was good, yeah. And people wanted it. Well, and regardless, I think there's something to be said for a person who can is, is proud of themselves, is yeah. proud of what you do, is confident. Mm-hmm. Um, it doesn't mean that you think anybody else is a bad person. It just Absolutely means, not. Yeah. It's okay, I think, It just think means you're to, confident in your own work. Yeah, I mean, trust me, I have plenty of things that I am insecure about and that I'm like, man, if you know, so-and-so is so good at that. I would do anything to be good at that. So I think it's okay to be proud of yourself in the areas that you are successful in. Mm-hmm. You know, don't beat yourself up about everything. If you're good at something, you know, don't go out bragging about it. But it's okay to be like, yeah, you know what? This is a strength of mine. And I'm going to use that to get ahead and to boost my business, really figure out your strengths. I mean, it's such a beneficial thing to do. Um, but so after kind of Gaining the confidence that I felt like I could sell things. Um, and I guess I should backtrack. Before I, I decided to start, I, from home, was selling clothes on Instagram. After I had Maya, I would buy these high-end brands like Ace and Jig. It's this uh, beautiful clothing brand made in India. Everything's handmade. Mm-hmm. And I would buy their items at the end of season, one year, or find these little shops that happen to be clearancing them out. And then I would sell them the next summer when they were back in season, almost full price, and I would make a bunch of money. So you're buying them online. Buying them online. Or I would call. I'd find. I'd go on to Ace and Jig. I'd find their stock list. And I'd go on to all these small shops that maybe didn't even have an online store. And I'd call and I'd be like, hey, it's the end of season. What Ace and Jig pieces do you have that are discounted on sale? Anything that was a good deal, I would buy up. And that I knew was a... And they have a cult following. I knew that brand well. And then the next year, I would just sell it for almost full price again. And I made, in a year, I made like six or $7,000 just buying and reselling clothes through Instagram. Yeah. There was uh, there was a site where anybody could go on and sell it on Instagram and anybody could buy it. You didn't have to, I didn't have to start my own. But so actually doing that, I learned, whoa, Instagram is an incredible tool to sell things. And like, if you can really learn how to leverage it, can really anybody can start a business and that was at a time when Instagram was really good to start a business they mm-hmm. didn't put in all the algorithms they didn't make all these changes to make it hard for a business to grow which unfortunately have happened now um, but learning that about Instagram I said okay I've I think I've figured out what my strengths are I think now I figured out a way to start this business through really through Instagram I can do this I can mm-hmm. put these together and I can start a business so Talk to my husband. So, and formal training in Instagram? Did you? No, nothing. Did just you study anything online? Nothing. You, you're just running with it yourself. Just running with it. Just it's, buying and selling. Again, that myself. speaks to the power of doing something yes. rather than just talking about doing something mm-hmm. or thinking about doing something, yeah. which I think most people get stuck. Yeah, and you don't. And I think people think if you're going to start a business or something, you have to put in a massive investment. You can start really small. You know, trial and error, figure it out. Like, you don't have to, unless you're launching a new technology or something, you don't have to hit the market with everything you own, invested in stuff. Start small if you're nervous and figure it out. Um, well, it's, most people, I mean, so business strategists would actually tell you anymore that you should fire bullets before you fire a cannonball anyway, right? And so that's the idea is to keep doing, again, yeah. exactly what you're doing. Try the small stuff. Try the small stuff, and especially especially now for brick and mortar, 
I think now it's so risky to start brick and mortar. You need to start an online shop first, prove your concept, know that what you're doing is what people want, and then open a brick and mortar. My heart is just breaking for all the brick and mortar stores closing. Right here. Yes, on Soda Row. I just sit behind the shopping little strip, and I watch restaurants or stores open and close, and I'll I'll just, like, cry. I won't even know who they are. But it's so... It's so sad for me to think of someone's dream that they put everything into and to see it fail. I'm a big proponent of business, and I want people to be successful. Um, Especially here in our backyard. I know. At least for me, it's it's the hardest part. It's very hard when it's local. I'm a big, I'm a big shop local person. Um, anyway, that's off being, on a tangent. Being from Portland. Yeah, I mean, I grew up in Coeur d'Alene, but living in Portland for a few years. <laughs> Coeur d'Alene also is is the Northwest. I mean, yeah, (laughs) it's true. I mean, I'm my husband and he's from Seattle. We're both we're Northwesterners for sure, in and out. Uh, So I kind of told my husband what I thought, and I said I'm going to need to invest some of of our savings into buying inventory for a shop. And you know, he was nervous, rightly so. That's a scary thing to Mm -hmm. do. This is new territory. I'd clearly tried other things that were not successful, Um, but he was totally supportive and. I can't tell you, I would not be where we are today with the business had I not had a supportive husband who believed in me and who trusted me to invest our savings because we actually ended up investing a lot more than we initially thought we were going to, Mm -hmm. meaning I wasn't keeping very good track of how much I was buying. And then by the time I opened, I went, holy, we spent so much money. (laughs) This has to work. So, oh, my husband, he has been amazing through this. So that's his plug. But uh you know, so we just, over the next six months, I started collecting inventory. So do you have a brick and mortar place right now? No, I don't. Oh, okay. And I don't because okay. brick and mortar is so risky. Yeah, I was worried I, I mean, missed something there. I, I think you have to be so insanely successful online and then be in the perfect location for whatever it is you're selling to even open up a brick and mortar. I mean, it's very risky now. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. This just shrinks your margins so much. But so I... Uh, I started collecting inventory. I started finding artists that I liked their ceramics or their paintings or um, the, maybe the baskets they were doing, whatever it was. And I started reaching out, hey, I'm opening an online shop. You know, can I have access to the wholesale discount? Sure. You know, it was no problem. I started finding contacts in all these different countries and said, if I buy bulk rugs or if I buy X amount of pillows, will you give it to me at a wholesale price? And this was before I was registered as a business or anything. I'm just a random person. Are you just emailing them? Your <clears throat> Mess- yeah, them? emailing them. Yeah, pretty much. And just, and they'd be like, okay, okay sure. Yeah, yeah. I'm like, I'm like, well, that was, that was easy. I thought I was going to have to do some convincing, like really butter them up. Nope. Sure. I mean, people just want to sell stuff. If I buy X amount of things for them and it's worth it, why not? So started collecting inventory and uh, I had one tiny little room in the basement that we've now expanded into the garage. We don't even park in our garage right now. And it was, you know, (laughs) like seriously, like 80 square feet, this little room. I just, everything was just in there and in the garage too, in certain spots. And I started building my Instagram account, showing sneak peeks of things I'd be listing and getting people excited, trying to let people know what my aesthetic would be, what my vision was for the shop and uh, figuring out how to start a website that was incredibly intimidating. Um, I'm not savvy with technology mm-hmm. or online. I'm a very, do things with my hands. Like I still write everything out with pen and paper. To I mean, be fair, it looks beautiful. Thank you so much. It was Oh, I would just stay up crying nights and I went, why am I doing this? It's going (laughs) to fail. And my husband would have to, you know, talk me off the ledge. I just, you know, so many nights, what am I doing? Why did I, why did I spend all this money? But it was too late then, had to start it. So. But the website, did you do it yourself? I used Squarespace. 
Okay. And Squarespace was amazing. Um, they made it very easy. You kind of pick your template. Mm -hmm. And they have lots of different templates because you kind of think, oh, if I'm just using a template, it's going to look like everyone else's. It doesn't. You mm -hmm. can customize. You can choose how much space you want in between each letter of your font. I mean, it's like you can change everything. Once you start uploading your own imagery and my own logo and things, it really didn't feel like, you know, some stock website. So uh, I couldn't have built a website otherwise. I did, didn't have the money to hire like a web developer. I mean, it's yeah. crazy expensive crazy to do that. Expensive. And Squarespace makes it really easy to just upload pictures, change the descriptions of items for a commerce site. If you have no experience, um, you can make it they make it pretty straightforward. Even for someone like me that is felt totally out of her element doing that, I was able to figure it out. Um, and I, my dad had owned businesses, so I called him when I was first starting. Hey, how do I register my business with the mm -hmm. state? How do you mm -hmm. know? I don't, I don't even know how to do this. So he gave me some tips, and uh, you know, I got an accountant right away, which I think is really important. That I think everybody should do when they start a business: get an accountant from day one because. So often, if I had a question, I could ask him. I mean, I didn't. I don't want to mess things up and get audited, you know. Yeah. And and just because I made silly mistakes, I didn't even know I was making. And it's so much easier to do that when you have five dollars in the bank <laughs> than when there's fifty there yeah. or more. Yes, absolutely. So, uh, yeah. Okay, fantastic. Mm -hmm. So, how'd you grow your Instagram following? Uh, I. So I'm I fascinated by this. Yeah. So, I mean, I don't have. A business version of Instagram. I have my own personal one. Yeah. You know, it's only, just only so big. One hundred thirty-eight thousand followers just blows me away. That's yeah. it's phenomenal. So uh, I feel like I can't take all the credit. I was at the beginning. I really hustled. I would spend. I would literally be breastfeeding my daughter, and I would have my phone, and I would go on to other people's interior designers, other online shops, anybody that I felt had uh, the right kind of following that I would want. Mm -hmm. That I could say. Their following could be my potential customers. Okay. I would go on and I would <laughs> I would load like all the comments underneath a picture. Anyone that would comment on a picture, I'm like, okay, they're an active follower. And I'd follow all of them. I would okay. just go onto their page and I'd follow, follow them. them. Hours. It's been hours. You had there was a certain limit. If you followed too many people at once in a row, like if you did it was like over two hundred or something, yeah. Instagram would block you. They'd be yeah, like, yeah. You can't do this. Yeah, so it was like I had like the perfect amount number that I could do before they bought me. I'd wait a couple hours and then I'd go on and I'd follow a ton of other people. <laughs> and then at night when I was breastfeeding my daughter again, I would go back on and I'd unfollow all those people after they followed me because I don't want to be following thousands Thousand, of people. Yeah, and following so, 130,000 yes, people. <laughs> it would be a little bit crazy. So then I'd go on later and I'd follow these people, probably piss people off. I <laughs> So I did that for a long time. And I got eight, I would say like 25% of the people I pressed follow on ended up following me back. Okay. So when you're doing that for hours every day, I mean, I was so determined to grow, to get a good following. I just didn't care. I just spent, I had no life. I still have no life. I don't know why I talk about that like it's past tense. <laughs> I'm completely dedicated to this business. But uh, that is a big way that I gained followers initially. Of course, I went onto my Facebook and stuff. Hey, everybody that I know, please follow me. You know, I think I did some giveaways maybe. Um... If you repost this picture, you might win this and, you know, to get people to follow me. And then fairly early on, I signed up for a service called Social Runner. And what they do is they will basically automate it so I didn't have to be doing the following thing, which is kind of frowned upon. But, hey, it worked for me, got me followers. What can I say? So... Social Runner logs into your account as mm -hmm. you, mm -hmm. and then they go on to, they spend, I don't know how many pictures they like, they like hundreds of pictures, maybe a day, 
of other people's accounts, again, that would probably be good followers for you. So you say, here's 10 accounts that I really like. I really like their aesthetic. They're doing something maybe similar to me or they're just a designer that I love. Mm -hmm. I want their followers. Social runner will go on, like a bunch of their pictures, and people will be like, who's, who's Lumen Kiln that's liking all my pictures? Then they go on to my account and be like, oh, I like what she's doing. And then they follow. So I did that. I don't do that anymore. Um, but I did. I used that service for a very long time, and I think a lot of my followers came from that. That was very huge for me in gaining my so following. So you'd recommend something like that? I would. Uh, Instagram is starting to... Some of the companies got shut down just because Instagram really frowns on anything that's like automated to grow your business in basically a non-organic way, paying for a service to grow your business. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So if some of them are being shut down. I don't know if Social Runner will be shut down soon. I don't think it. I think it's still running and everything. Um, but honestly, I mean, as tiring as it is and, you know, as non-organic as growing that growing process is, it works. And, you know, I think any way to get followers that would like to be following you to any way to say, Hey, I'm here. Show yourself to all the people that you think would be good followers. You know, you gotta do what you gotta do. Well, exactly. And I think as long as there's people who are interested, there's going to be a way. Yeah. So even if that way gets blocked and in some yes. way, you're going to find another way, right? Oh, it doesn't sound like they're, you're going to be shut down. At yeah. Any point, so. Right. I mean, Instagram's not shutting down personal accounts that are doing but, it. Cause, I mean, cause almost truly almost every blogger business has done this. This mm-hmm. is not unique oh, to yeah, me. Exactly. Everybody does exactly. this. I mean, yeah. it's the only way to grow quickly. And I mean, as you know, with business, the first people there, whatever industry you're in, there's so much competition. You want to be the first one there and you got to get ahead of the curve and let people know that you're here. And, uh, I mean, people even would go so extreme. Instagram changed all these algorithms to where it's hard now for people to see your posts, even your own followers. It's just, it's become less business friendly in my opinion and in a lot of people's opinions. So now what people do to get their posts seen and at the top of people's feeds, uh, or even on the home search page, if you get a lot of likes or comments, a ton of engagement, it will go to the home page of Instagram. So when you go to search for a person or something, you get all these suggested videos of things you can get on the explore page is what it's called. So getting stuff on there is like the it's cream of the crop. You're going to get huge engagement and possibly Mm -hmm. tons of followers. So what some people would do is they would set up pods. I never did this, um, but they would be a part of a group of like a hundred different people. And then they would like take turns being like, today's my day. I'm doing my post at two o'clock. Everybody from here has to comment on it. So all of a sudden they get so much engagement immediately on a post. It blows up, it goes to the explore page and they get huge results from that. Mm -hmm. So I never did that, but I mean, that's, that is the kind of strategic planning that is now going into Instagram because they keep blocking ways for us to show people who we are. And so people are getting creative and figuring things out. And so I never did one of those pods, but that's pretty common now. Did you make that Explorer page yet? Um, I think like on one or two of my posts I have. Uh, not not often. Yeah. Clearly. Is, is it a focus of yours to try to make No, that? it's not. You're for not some people. No, time. I'm not. And it's it's very difficult to do that. And mm-hmm. You know, I don't want to go through. I, I've done smaller pods where there. I have a group of business women who I love. We're all in different. Uh, I started it maybe a year ago, maybe a little longer. We all have different focuses in our business, but we're all women running businesses. And I said, hey, maybe we can between the ten of us, a small group, or maybe that's eight. We can comment on each other's posts every once in a while to just kind of. You never want to post something and one person comments. It just kind of looks yeah, bad. Yeah, yeah. So at least every once in a while, if we get a few comments, maybe it'll 
boosted a little bit just within our own followers, not trying to get on the Explore page, but just look better for our followers. I've done that, and that's been nice to have that group of women to fall back on and at least always have a few comments. Um, but uh, So I've focused on that, but never on getting my stuff to the Explore page. So why do you think you do this? Why do you think you're doing it at all? Instagram or my business? Period. Your business. Um, I think if you're a creative person, you probably understand this, but um, you just you have a desire to constantly be creating and have some kind of creative outlet. And for me, I wanted a creative outlet. This has definitely given it to me, and I get so much fulfillment in it in that way. Um, I... I just struggled being at home as a mom and and only focusing on my kids and um, not having anything for myself. You know, I wasn't really talking to adults very much. You know, I, it, I mean, it was just it, the monotony of it um, was very difficult for me, especially in the cold winters. You know, maybe if I lived in a warmer climate where I could be outside all the time, it wouldn't be as hard. Um, but I just, I like to have other things going on. I have a lot of interests. I have a lot of, I feel like I have a lot of drive and. I wanted something that I could rest my hat on and make some money and something I could be proud of aside from motherhood, which I'm very proud of. You know, I'm very proud of my children and um, I love that aspect of my life and I would never want to uh, talk ill of women that just want to be at home because I think if you can do that, it's A, so beneficial for your kids and I think it's just good on you. I mean, I, I wish sometimes that I had the patience uh, to be able to do that. And, and I just, I did want more. And, um, and I think that's okay. I think as long as you find that work-life balance, which I'm still working on and I've had a lot of mom guilt. <laughs> so your kids you know? are like, what'd you say, two? They're one and one three. three. They're young, yeah. but you know, you're like, man, <laughs> you're, what, what problems are, balance, yeah. yes, what problems are they going to have in the future? Because I wasn't there <laughs> for them. You know, it's, you know, my, with my second, uh, son, Theo, I was so stressed out with the business that my breast milk dried up really fast, and I felt really guilty about that. Mm-hmm. I, I mm-hmm. breastfed Maya until she was a year and three months, and uh, that was very hard for me, and kind of felt like I failed as a mom. Yeah. So even though I know I didn't, and like you know, you have to just talk logically. There's working and being a stay-at-home mom, a full-time mom, uh, will always have its challenges and has a lot of rewards, but. You know, you you could probably say that with just being a stay-at-home mom as well. So, anyway, a little bit of a tangent there. Clearly, that's, that's always not on a my tangent, mind. Not at all. Um, the fact but, is, we're all human. Yeah, it's yeah, <laughs> it's true. Right? Yeah. You talk like you're superhuman, but the fact is, we're human. We're human. And I've been amazed how many conversations I've had when I've been vulnerable and expressed these kinds of feelings. And other women feel the same way, you know? Maybe people aren't always talking about it, and maybe I'm just the one always talking about it. And, you know, I have no filters. And um, But I think it's okay to talk about the things that are hard for you and uh, to be vulnerable and to say, yeah, I'm struggling with these things. I don't have it all together. And so often I think... Um, Especially sometimes I feel that where I live, it has to be, you know, you have to put on this fake persona, especially with social media. I mean, yeah. it's look how wonderful yep. my life yep, yep, yep. is always. And, you know, it makes you feel bad. And the truth is, no, everyone's life is messy. Everyone's got crap they're struggling with. And, you know, yeah, we're all just human, just like you said. Um, so having a perfectly successful business didn't solve all of your... <laughs> did not solve all my problems. Life problems. It did not. Surprisingly, I thought it would just be, you know living on cloud nine after that. Um, but 
but ultimately too I wanted to I love to travel my husband and I both love to travel and I thought if I can make a couple thousand dollars a month gosh we could and we put most of that towards traveling we went on we love to go on adventures we love mm-hmm. to travel to different countries we did that quite a few times before we had kids together and um, I just thought this is our like adventure fund, you know? Yeah. And now it's completely changed the course of our future and what he's probably going to do for work and what I'm doing. And, um, yeah, it's, so is that part of your why also? So your original why is just the creative outlet. I shouldn't say just, I mean, it's a creative huge outlet. part of what you do, yes. but, yeah. but then and also to, to fund your life in some way. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it was, it was to, to be able to have some fun and have some extra spending money to be able to, go on adventures and not worry about it financially. Say, hey, this isn't part of your salary. This is just extra that we wouldn't have had otherwise. Have you found that that doing the business in this way cheapens your creative outlet at all? You know, I Do don't. Do you feel like it does? I don't because um, I'm in complete control of my business. And when I want to be more creative, I will reach out to one of the artists, one of the ceramic artists or painters or um, someone that does textiles, and I'll say, hey, kind of have this idea. I've been sketching pillow ideas. Do you want to collaborate on me with this? You make it. We kind of perfect the design together that mm-hmm. I've kind of envisioned. Like that leather pillow with uh, hooves, or what is it? With with hooves? What's her name? <laughs> no, they're, her, her name, Red... Ho- I can't remember. There we go. Yeah. Thank you. Yes, yeah, so exactly. That's a friend of I mine. I just love those pillows. No, I love the leather normal. pillows. They're beautiful <laughs> and they, they'll look so pretty in a few years. But um, And that was probably one of the less creative projects. It's pretty basic. But that exactly it. I reached out to her. I said, I think I want to carry leather pillows. And she gave suggestions on the type of fabric that we use, uh, where the zipper is. And, you know, we said, let's do this little cross stitching at the top. And um, But so when I want to be more creative, I find a way to do it. And... I nothing about the business holds me back that way, and I, I think that's one of the things I love about it is mm-hmm. I just have full control. I'm working on lots of creative projects right now that I can't can't quite say yet, but I think uh, I think sometimes the world thinks like art and business that those are two things that don't yeah, yeah. mesh. Totally disagree. I think you've have you heard that before? Have you heard people say the whole you know prostituting your <laughs> your favorite things or you know whatever it is? Well, you know I think I think people like to treat artists like they're not allowed to to create art to make money. You can only create it because you have to be passionate about it. You have to be totally fine being a broke, poor, starving artist. I mean that's the image, you know. Mm-hmm. No, you can. You can want to be an artist and say, "How? What can I do to make this more? Yeah. You know, to monetize this for myself? People have to live, and people. It doesn't. You're not selling yourself out. Some people do, I guess, but there's definitely ways to uh, be business friendly and y- utilize all of your creative abilities and be very successful with it. Yeah. So to be fair, the people that I've interviewed, they've they've had the same experience, mm-hmm. uh, and it's been my experience too that it's just what I do I don't know what the issue is yeah. with you know and if you make a decision to sell more you sell more if you make a decision yes. that you want to be done for a minute you, you're done for a minute but I think so I think usually that's just an excuse for somebody to not put their foot in the ring you yeah. know to, to step in and put themselves out on the line I guess or Definitely. to follow 500 people at one time and have to go back <laughs> and, and unfollow yes. people for the sake of, of your art and, it's not and so. ideal but I think the 
In my opinion, the people that make it are the people that are scrappers and hustlers, yeah, and they totally. do whatever it takes. Obviously, that's ethical. You're not doing unethical things. Some selling of those people. guys can make right. it too. I mean, you, mean, you shouldn't do those things. Don't go out and sell people things you know they don't need if they can't afford it, whatever, you know, just to make a buck. I mean, be ethical about what you do, but the things that are maybe kind of embarrassing, they're not glamorous and stuff, but you hustle, you go door to door, you do whatever it is to let people know, hey, I'm here, this is what I'm doing. There's nothing wrong with that, and those are the people that are successful, in my opinion. Yeah, it's true, obviously. They wouldn't have 138,000 followers. I'll keep going back to that. <laughs> uh, it's almost like I'm interviewing a celebrity. At, at a Hardly, celebrity. yeah. That's hilarious, but thank you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I think it's pretty impressive. Thank um, you. Well, you've uh, you've filled this thing up with content. Gosh, I'm I'm long-winded. I'm sorry about that. No, I just I, this is phenomenal. Talk, you make talk. an incredible interview for sure. Good. So your house. Tell me about your house. It's like uh, it's like a museum. This one that we're living in right now, or the uh, one well, we're just because into? you can tell you've put a lot of effort into even just your own personal trappings. Yes, know. we. So this is kind of funny. When we moved to Portland. I just finished school. didn't have kids yet. Can't believe how easy life is before you have kids. If you don't have kids, you don't even know how good you have it yet. <laughs> you have so much freedom. It's ridiculous. So we moved there. I hadn't found a job yet. Um, or I think I was teaching Zumba. I think that would be a couple times a week, which I love. So I had a lot of free time. You still I, do Zumba? I do Zumba. I don't teach it anymore just because... I don't need the added stress, but I love going. I'm the person hooting and hollering in the back and, you know, (laughs) sweating and just like really making a scene and I'm just having the time of my life. So that's me. But I, when we first moved to Portland, I spent hours every day on Craigslist because the Craigslist in Portland is amazing. People Mm -hmm. sell, people have the coolest mid-century and vintage furniture and stuff in Portland and they sell it for dirt cheap. If you happen to be the first one that emails and says, me, you know, and you can get it. So I would spend hours every day refreshing my searches, you know, mid-century credenza, vintage leather chair, whatever I was searching. And as soon as I found something I love, I'd email them right away. And Mark and I would just go all over Portland finding furniture and this different things. This sounds finds. like a Portlandia episode. It, you know, Portlandia is painfully true. It's painfully, it's painfully know, true. Like we had to stop watching <laughs> it when we lived in we Portland. We still watch it because it was so true that you can't help it. Oh, Yes, I think everyone that hasn't lived in Portland thinks that's like a huge exaggeration. Yeah, it is not. Yeah, it's very, very truthful. And, and, and it's too easy for them to because <laughs> they could just easy. do another one tomorrow. Yes, they met somebody else at the bookstore. They met somebody else. Or, or my favorite one is the chicken episode where they go oh, to yes. order chicken. <laughs> And then they kind of know the chicken's name. And then it's got, yes. And so Can we true. go to the farm and, and visit uh, this chicken? My wife and I are down here at the porch <laughs> right here in Daybreak, Utah. And, and we find ourselves doing the exact same thing. We've got to make sure that we don't you. jump down that rabbit hole. Yeah, oh, it's so it's so true, though. And, and you're there and you're like, yes, you just you get caught up in those things. And I, I remember we were driving in Portland one time. And Mark just, it was in Northeast Portland, which is a pretty eclectic area. <laughs> so stop, or we're at a crosswalk and this guy crosses the street. He's riding a unicycle. I think he's in a glittery gold uh, unitard. <laughs> and then he's wearing a Darth Vader helmet and a cape. Yeah. Just going down. And Mark's like, oh, uh, yeah. that's weird. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> really? But it was like, Portland. Yeah, If I saw that here, I don't even know what I would think. I mean, it wasn't even hardly even faced us. My it was coworker just... called it their boom moment, and 
My other coworker says, yeah, but in Portland, all their switches are already blown. <laughs> the fuses have been blown. Nobody cares. Boom moments happen constantly. Yes. And you just let it go. They've been, there's just, oh, you got to love Portland. So, um, anyway, so I collected all these great vintage finds in Portland from Craigslist, and I spent hardly anything on them. So, a lot of what's in our house are things that we packed up and brought with us because we're like, we're never going to get this lucky again, you oh, know? Okay. So, a lot of our finds, these chairs are all vintage. Um, I had coffee table custom made by a woodworker I found on Etsy and um, table was vintage. I mean, and we did a lot of projects ourselves. We put in the backsplash. We did the stick wood on the island, the brick on the fireplace, and then we put up the shelves, painted the accent walls, changed all the light fixtures. So, I mean, we really... That brick is gorgeous. Thank you. We love the color, the natural variation in it. But we is just... That, that's all natural? It's not two different colors? So. It's just, no, it's just um, the variations in the glaze. When you fire a glaze, if it's a hand-fired tile, oh, uh, there will it. be a lot of variations in the yeah. glaze. So we, um, instead of just a ceramic tile that's not uh, dipped and fired, so um, we did not want our place to feel like a new build, like, you know, just like a cookie cutter. Yeah. We're like, we are... We love this area. We have to build a new build. We like some aspects of that, being able to pick everything from top to bottom, but it can feel stale. So we really put our mark on it and just did a lot of projects. We're still in the process of doing that. Exactly. It's a long process. Yeah. Yeah. That doesn't end either, right? <laughs> it's not like you're going to stop doing right. it. Right. I have finally finished the house. No, that never, that never happens. <laughs> Ever. Well, I have to keep an eye on your site more so for sure. Thank you. Do you have any of your organic sheep? skin rugs here i do i have some of those pelts downstairs um in our storage yeah we get those from i have a dealer in russia and she just goes to all these small farms families that have been doing this for generations i mean this is a way of life for them and uh they raise the sheep and they live long lives roaming the osetian mountains and they're you know very happy lives. Have and you met the sheep? I have not met the sheep. You don't know their names. I know i'm not a true portlandian yeah, okay. because i haven't <laughs> met the sheep and i don't know their name um but eventually, it's their way of life. They kill the sheep for their meat, and mm -hmm. then the meat goes to market, and then they don't waste a single part of the animals. So the pelts are just a side product, a byproduct, I guess, um, from the fact that they, you know, raise the sheep for their meat, and that's how they live. And so the, the sheep skins, instead of being chemically bleached to just be perfectly white, they keep them the beautiful color they are. They naturally tan them with the animal's own fat and yeah. brush hours of brushing through them to make sure that, you know there's no debris, getting all everything out. And um, I mean, it's really a time-intensive process. Yeah. It's really amazing. Oh, I'm sure you appreciate it. You're a hunter. Yeah. And uh, so that's a newer thing we were doing. I always have loved sheepskins, but I, I just never wanted to carry them in my shop unless I could feel proud about the process behind them mm -hmm. and, you know, not be a part of animal cruelty or this is not what I'm about. So um, once I discovered her and uh, learned about her process, you know, it's such an ancient process that goes, you know, so deep rooted for this, for these people in Russia. And I... I just thought it was beautiful. And I in loved Russia? It's Russia. Oh. And I get them all from Russia. Small farms in Russia that are raising. So it's beautiful Icelandic variations. And I mean, you cannot beat the quality of them. They're mm -hmm. incredible. Um, and so that's why we only usually have a few up at a time online is because to do it ethically and to do it the right way, um, source them from the right people, you can't say, oh, I want 100. Yeah, exactly. You know, it's <laughs> what do you have from one week to the next? And, you know, you go from farm to farm, collect a couple at a time and... 
I mean, it's a pretty time-intensive process. So this lady does that in Russia. She yeah. goes, she goes from village to village. Yeah, she, uh, her and her husband live there, and she's originally, I think, from North Carolina and um, Asheville. No, yeah. not from Asheville. Although I've heard that is an awesome yeah. place. I've been dying to go <laughs> visit there. People would tell me it's the Portland of, totally of over there. there. Um, yeah, so she just goes around. She has relationships with all these, you know, small farms, and they know that she looks. How did you them. get to know her? Oh, pretty much all through social media. I mean, oh, okay. I so many of my contacts. Um, and once you kind of get in with certain people and you know them, they might suggest friends of yeah. theirs and stuff, which is helpful. Um, a lot from just, uh, you know, utilizing the internet and Google and different things to, to find people. And then after you find people, you know, it's all about building those relationships so that you're the first person they show their collection to, you know? So now I'm to a point where I'm purchasing a lot. And so I'm in a good position with them because I've been with them for a long time. I've been very loyal with them. And now I'm purchasing a good amount that it's worth it for them to save the best of the best to show me. Cause I'll likely purchase them all. And at least all the ones that I love. And, um, it's put me now I'm in a good position with my dealers and that's hard to get to it takes time. And so there, she's package, packaging them up and shipping them from to Russia you. to me. Yep. From Russia. Yep. And I get a pack of like from six Russia at a time. Love. Yep. Yeah. Yep. We always cross our fingers that uh, we don't have any issues with customs to delay it. Sometimes they're delayed several weeks and for me receiving them and we don't know why. We never know which packages will be held it's, for a while. <laughs> yeah. You bet. Yeah. It's phenomenal though. That's yeah. a cool story. Yeah. I'm going to have my eye for sure on one of those roads. Eventually. They're beautiful, and there's so much natural color variation in each of them. Um, we love them, and the same with our rugs. I mean, our rugs are all our Persian. I shouldn't and call them rugs. I'm supposed to call them pelts. You can call them pelts. That's the <laughs> technical technical name. Um, you can call them whatever you want. Um, but it's the same thing, you know. Our, our Persian rugs, our Moroccan rugs, our Turkish rugs—they're all everything is one of a kind. That is, that's kind of the theme of the shop. There are things that are handmade. Everything in the shop is handmade. Except we have like one candle that was handmade and now it's, you know. Do you stare in at a that cast. candle awkwardly? When yeah, sometimes I'm like, you, <laughs> you you've not, made you me. You should not be here. <laughs> you don't belong. But it's so beautiful. And I, I'm like, oh, I will make one exception. Other than that, everything's handmade and everything, a lot of things are one of a kind. You know, this rug that you're sitting on, an artist made this years ago and. They only made one, and it was they just figured out the design. You'll see a lot of repetition maybe in symbols and stuff, but this rug, you will never find another rug that mm -hmm. is exactly like this. And that's what makes these so special is they have a history. A lot of times they're a little worn. They have a nice patina to them, which is a beautiful look that a lot of people like. Um, and just the quality. I mean, now I know a friend of mine that worked for uh, a home decor company, one much larger than mine that I won't name, and they when they go to create rugs, they find like vintage rugs they like, and then they say, what can we remove from here to make it a simpler design that's less expensive and we can make more money on? I mean, mm -hmm. that's what most companies do. How can we minimize this to maximize profits? Yeah. And when you do that, you yeah. lose so much of what's so beautiful about the rugs. That's why the vintage rugs cannot, the vintage handmade rugs cannot be replicated. You see other stores trying to do it and they just can't. Because it's so, they're so intricate that it really doesn't make sense financially to do them that way. So, so they have to simplify. So how do you source your rugs? So I just, with my dealers, they know now I have dealers in all these different countries. And, or some of them that have big companies here that have been in the rug business for, you know, generations. And so they import 
you know, massive amounts on boats into from a lot of times they're from Iran or from the countries of origin and they've just been in this business forever. And then I wholesale from them. But now my dealers know my aesthetic. They know the kind of colors I like, the kind of things I don't like. And so they'll send me, you know, a Dropbox or something, you know, just email or text me a bunch of pictures. This is what's new. I'll look at them all. And even with them knowing what I like, I still usually only pick a couple from each yeah. one because yeah. I'm so particular about exactly what I'm looking for. And it's hard to describe what makes a rug good or not. You know, it's the same thing with art. You can't really say what makes art good or not, but you just know when you see it what it is. That's why and you're an artist. That's why you're an artist. And that's why, that's why people that are really successful in design and the art world, they can't be replicated because... You can't teach your eye to somebody. You can't train someone's eye. I mean, you can to some degree, um, but just that in itself is so valuable. And so that's one thing that's hard for me is as the business grows, I'm trying to delegate, give off some responsibility and not be so consumed by the business because I really want that work-life balance. I want to be there for my kids. I want to be at the soccer games. You know, I don't want to be always at home working. But there are some things that you just cannot delegate and that you have to do. So you just hired an assistant. What does she do? So my assistant, I, well, now she was my assistant. Now she's my store manager. Uh, Liza is amazing. I absolutely adore her. I, she's been working with me a little over a year. Um, she manages, and now we've hired another person to help with shipments. But mostly she did manage shipments. Product photos, she'll take the photo, edit the listing, uh, or edit the photo, edit the listing, edit the price, and put that online so that someone can buy that product. So she did mostly that. She does a little bit of customer service emails now, which I'm trying to delegate more, and probably soon she'll have her own customer service email, and that will take a huge weight off my shoulders. Um, She'll help with random fires that need to put out. You know, somebody emails me, hey, my tracking number isn't working and I need to know when it's arriving. She'll call UPS, figure out what actually... So shipping, how is that done? Ship station. Yeah, so she... So downstairs, we have a program called Ship Station, which I didn't know about for like the first year of business. I can't believe I didn't know about it because I was manually typing in. Every time I got an order, (laughs) I'd go to USPS and I'd manually type it in and I'd triple check for spelling errors. Oh my gosh, it took so long. And this was before I had an assistant. I would put the kids down at night and then I would just work and work. I guess <laughs> kid, I didn't have Theo yet. But so ShipStation is a lifesaver. If that, if not that, some shipping service. And it imports, when you get an order from your website, it imports the address right into the label. So you just have to quickly one over it. Okay, yep, that's right. Enter the weight and the dimensions and it pops up with the price. Mm-hmm. It is so much faster than, I mean, I can't say that enough. Use a shipping service. It's worth the monthly fee. Um so, and then once they package it up, head to the UPS store. Some things like our bigger rugs, we ship at the UPS store uh, okay. instead of printing a label at home because we just get better rates in person. And uh, we, at this time, don't have a lot of storage for boxes and stuff. That will change when we move in a couple of weeks, but that's basically the shipping process. Got it. And so it'll, it picks up the tracking number and all that jazz too? Or you, you have to... When if, you drop off the stuff. No, a USPS... Or, um, excuse me, when you use ShipStation, and I only use ShipStation for packages I send through the post office. Bigger oh. packages I only send through UPS because they're cheaper. And that's okay. what we take over to the actual UPS store. But for ShipStation, it will just uh, automatically um, give you a tracking number and put it right into your commerce app. And so it will send an automatic email notification. You don't have to re-enter it. It's very convenient. Yeah. Yeah, we it's love it. It's phenomenal to think that you're sitting here in well, in Utah, and you're working with people from Russia, Iran, 
Turkey, Morocco. Where else? Gosh, I think that's actually mainly it. Those four countries. That's it. That's it. Okay. (laughs) So pretty much half the world, at least. Yeah, we're 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 finally taking a trip to Morocco. We haven't been yet. We leave in like two weeks, and I'm finally going to be able to meet some of these dealers that uh, in person that I've been talking to for years. And next year, we're planning on going to Turkey and meeting a few more, and just I'm really excited to finally put faces to names, and it'll be great. Yeah, it's a perfect testament to the that you can make a living any day, especially now with social media and and uh, the internet technology. You could you could do anything from anywhere it's at true. any time. It's an amazing time that we live in. There's a lot of, of course, that means there's a lot of competition because anybody can, right? But if you really hustle, if you really figure out what you're good at, what your strengths are. And uh, if you have that passion and drive, I mean, you put those things together and you can figure it out. I don't care what the industry is. I don't care if you don't have the experience. I didn't know anybody that helped me or gave me an in or, you know, a celebrity that spoke up for me. And, you know, I didn't have any of those things and it it worked. So I just think um, you have to find the right thing, though. If you I think there are a lot of people that go into something because they're good at it, but they're not passionate about it or they're passionate about it, but they're not being very honest with themselves that maybe it's not their strength. And I think a lot of times those are who fail or they just simply don't have the hustle, the drive and the work ethic. Thank you, Hannah, for the conversation. Please head on over to Hannah's website at Loom and Kiln. Like what she does on Instagram and follow us and review us at our Commonwealth iTunes page or in SoundCloud.